I'm Chris Stuchko, co-host of the Ninth Grade Experience Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Walter Stephen Geating, the author of Volume 1, The Path of Cocopelli. His life has been filled with so much adventure and his thrilling tales reflect that also. You're going to love his book, his characters, and their journeys. Thanks for listening. So much to learn. You're going to have so much fun. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you took a moment to reach out to your friends, your colleagues, your family members and said, hey, if you're not listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, you should be, and here's the link. Could you do that for me? That'd be so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. The intro and outro were created and performed by Brian K. Buffington. You can find more about Brian at briankbuffington.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for his newsletter. Thanks, Brian. Cool, huh? It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Walter Stephen Geating, ever since he ran away from home as a teenager to gallivant across North America with his best friend, has always been a curious man of adventure who has lived his life as wildly as the characters in his books. In fact, it is hard to separate Walter from the exploits his characters unveil on the pages of his books. At age 17, Walter was a hippie who traveled all over the nation and Canada in an old convertible. He did odd jobs, YMCA instructor, painted water towers, built homes, photo lab technician, and got himself into all kinds of brushes with the law. He even shot himself twice, accidentally. Eventually, he turned his life around and at age 38 earned an BA in English from Missouri Southern State University. In 1996, he earned his Juris Doctor from the University of Tulsa. He became a prosecutor for McDonald County, Missouri for eight years. Then he switched sides and spent 15 years as a defense attorney, uh, uh, owning and operating his law practice that specialized in criminal and civil law. He was a bar president of the 40th Judicial Circuit. He is a born storyteller, and, and this is the other one I loved. Um, all right, so here you go, audience. It's, I'm reading it just like it says. He is a born storyteller and bullshitter extraordinaire. For nearly five years, he wrote poetry for, for the Neoshu Week, Weekly. Walter has an interesting family lineages. His uh, grandfather was a city marshal and a lead miner. His dad worked for the FBI. His published books include the Endless Time series, Volume 1, The Path of Coco Pelli, Volume 2, Murphy Diggins, Colony Trilogy, Book 1, The End, Book 2, Narrations of Nui, Book 3, The Beginning. Even the Mice Get Fat, which I love the title of that, a collection of Christmas poems, and Pictures of Life, Rhyming Mind Pictures, Poetic Observations. Walter is a rugged outdoorsman who enjoys hunting, kayaking, fishing, hiking, and archery. He has two children, two stepchildren, many ex-wives, and 14 grandchildren. For more information, please consult WalterStephenGeating.com. Today we're focused on... On Walter's writing and his award-winning book, Volume 1, The Path of Coco Pelli. Walter, thanks so much for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Hello, how are you all doing? Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, and I got to tell you, this is uh, this is so cool. I love your book, uh, Walter. You've done, and, and and just your background, oh my gosh, you're perfect for a, a storyteller. Um, 
You've done many adventurous things in your life. Sometimes your past must feel like a fiction novel. Could you share a little about some of these early adventures? Especially, you have to talk about how you shot yourself twice. Well, the amazing part, it seems like fiction to me that I'm even here to be able to tell my stories because uh, most of my friends didn't make it. And I'm uh, like Chris Christopherson, I think I'm partly truth and partly fiction. Uh, (laughs) As far as some of my early adventures, I wrote down a couple. I was, uh, before the gun episode, I was painting water towers one time in Georgia and we were doing a standpipe. I was on what's called a bosun's chair, which is a little bitty chair. And a buddy of mine tied it off to the back of my car. So he drives forward and it pulls me up the top of this water tower. And I get about halfway up there and the rope comes untied. Down I shoot. I mean, all that's there is a big metal pipe and I'm going down about a hundred miles an hour. And I reach out and grabbed all the ropes with my bare hands and burned down about 20 feet. My, I, me and my hamburger hands went on down and that was a huge life lesson that Never let anybody touch your gear. So we went and had beer thereafter, which we, we really needed it. I can imagine. I can't even imagine what you were thinking as you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to die. I, I didn't have much time to think. I, I started thinking later, and that's when the beer came in. But, <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. I, I have two other ones, and these are kind of about integrity and honor. I was uh, hosting a little get-together down at my river home. And I walked in the kitchen. These guys were bikers. And I watched the guy stealing a can of my soup. And I thought, oh, my God, a can of soup? And I grabbed him by the back of his neck and his pants and dragged him outside and threw him in the river. <laughs> this guy, it was it was late October. He's wearing his biker leathers, which are heavy anyway, and they got a whole lot heavier. And I thought, you know what? This, this is justice. That guy stole my soup. He's still my lady. And I watched him head on down the road after I kicked him out. Nice, nice. The third one that I have, I'm trying to make them quick. I know we're limited on time. I call it my $21 bill story, and it's God's truth. Uh, I, back in an early life, I was a purveyor of whatever you want to say. And uh, I, we were sitting in a bar, and a guy passed me five twenties, and I counted them, and uh, the deal took place. I get up the next day, and I go 20, 40, 60, 81. And I go, What? And I looked again at 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. And I, just to be sure, I turned him over 20, 40, 60, 81. And this guy had taken a $1 bill and taped four 20s around the corners to make it look like a 20 and pawned it off to me in the dark. And it took me weeks. He was a trucker. It took me weeks to catch up with him. But wow. uh, long story short, I got my $20 back at the risk of him getting a roughed up. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, honor's, honor's a huge thing to me and, and my integrity. Even back then, you know, I never started anything, but I always tried to finish it and, and uh, be fair. That's that's awesome. And then and, and, <laughs> these need to be chapters in your book. I mean, I know it's not about you. But- All these stories are in the Endless Time series. Uh, if they're in the path of Coco Pelly, they'll be in the next one. Excellent, excellent. Okay, I'm going to go into my gun stories. Okay. Uh, I, I had a uh, 22 rifle, and I was obviously clean, empty, empty gun. So I'm cleaning my empty gun. Kabam! I shot myself in the calf of my leg. And, I'm like, and uh, I grabbed a big old long Q-tip, one of those monster things, and I had a hole clear through the, both sides of my calf, and I soaked it in oil and stuck it in that hole, and I screamed like a woman. I jumped around cussing, and then I took it out, and I w- couldn't tell mom and dad. Mom would have killed me for shooting myself. 
And so I just, uh, I let it ride. And the next thing, it was within months, dad had given me this little bitty old stub nose 22. And I took aim across my forearm and I shot. Well, my forearm was wider than the gun and it plowed a big old black furrow across my arm. And I did the same thing. I got a bunch of alcohol and poured it in the holes, went around cussing for a while and just forgot about it because they just took my gun away. And the ironic part is that gun, I finally lost that gun because we were driving down the road later and we were going swimming. And all we had was blanks. And here's this hitchhiker and stupid me. I said, oh, this is going to be funny. And I hung out the window and I popped off a couple of blanks. The hitchhiker hit the ditch and we go down and we're sitting at a truck stop. And I heard this click, click. And I looked over and this biggest double-barreled shotgun I've ever seen in my life was sticking about six inches from my ear. And right behind it was this biggest, meanest highway patrolman that I'd ever seen in my life who became one of my good friends later that I became when I became a prosecuting attorney. And uh, they took me in. I only had blanks, but uh, he took my little gun. <laughs> and that's my gun story. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, I, I'm very surprised that we're talking today. This is... <laughs> oh, so am I. <laughs> and what's amazing about it is that you go on to become a prosecutor. <laughs> yes, and this, this man, I ate breakfast with him every day for years. I mean, he's a good friend of mine. That's this is awesome! Oh my gosh, man! And that's cool that you became friends with him too. That's what a cool thing. So you know, it's funny. Uh, um, you know, when I when I see everything that you've done, and I, you know, obviously, and reading your writing, it obviously makes some impact on your writing. Um, but can you talk about how? I mean, you're a prosecutor, and then later a defender. Has that impacted your writing? I mean, because that's that's it too- has. It uh, what what happened? You know, I had a crazy early life. Obviously, you've heard a short bit of tails and then one day i'm driving down the road and i'm going to do something illegal and uh, i had an epiphany i didn't want to do what i was doing anymore and i looked straight up in the sky and i said god you know if you're real show me i don't want to say i I don't want to do this anymore and that second i looked over and a buddy of mine called rebel who's still a very good friend of mine motioned me over and he said, Steve, what are you doing? You were doing 25 on the interstate. But he, God and Rebel literally saved my life. I was about to lose my lamp because I hadn't paid my lamp payments. Rebel gives me all of his paycheck for two weeks. This man is married with kids. And I said, Rebel, I can't pay you back. And he said, take care of business. You can pay me one way or the other. And at that time on, whether you believe or not, that was my epiphany and God saved my life and rebel help. He was the tool and my life went forward and up from there. So I became, I, within two years, I went back to school and I went uh, eight years straight through and then studied for the bar. And then I became a prosecuting attorney, which is a story all in itself. The river patrol came into that one. But uh, so I, what I did, I took my, crazy life and and uh i would for my early life and i would i already knew what the defendant's excuses would be so we would sit there and i would uh, the defendant's attorney would be uh you know sitting there and i'd accidentally let let his client hear, hear us talking and the defendant's attorney would go my client says this this and this happened and i'd go crap this is what happened been there done that and i would <laughs> i would i would tell it and uh, it tempered my judgment you know i I would say, you know, take this today, way prelim, it's a great offer, it leaves when you leave. So what had happened, I, my combination of playing hardball, my shady past, 
and no nonsense. I utilized my criminal past to work over a criminal defense attorney and attain a good prosecutorial result. That's awesome. Jeez. Oh my gosh. Man. It worked. It worked great. <laughs> I can only imagine too. That That's uh that's awesome stuff. I mean, so let's, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let, we're going to get closer to your books here. You have written quite a few books now and what encouraged you to write fiction novels and who's your target audience? Who are you, who are you trying to get in to read? Fiction is a wonderful vehicle to move my thoughts forward. I wrote the endless time series for the reality. And I always use real historical players like in the, in the current one, the path of Coco Pelly, William Becknell created the Santa Fe trail first, American to allowed on Mexican soil to trade. The god Coco Pelli introduced himself to me on the canyon walls when my wife and I floated to Colorado about 15 years ago. I didn't know him. He knew me. And uh, then they're authentic Mexican Hidalgos. And real time, 1822 New Mexico, real places, New Mexico and Santa Fe, and I researched all of them. So in the path of Coco Pelli, I wrote these real life stories of two characters, myself and my friend Jim, or my brother Jim, and I meshed them all together to create the Endless Time series. In the path of Cocopelli, I blog every week, and, and I write current stories about the background of this book. So if anybody ever wants to get any more background or crazy stories of real-life escapades, you can go to my website, where most of the stories are just about as unbelievable as the fiction I write. That's awesome. That's so cool. And it's... My, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go right ahead. Okay. My target audience, I think, is probably adults who, uh, you know, they want to adventure. And and they really can't. You know, I think all humans love adventure and, uh, you know, danger, provided there's some kind of safety net. And my adage has always been no guts, no glory. You know, uh, you've got it. You know, I, I go to... And I think most people would agree, you know, if you love the danger and adventure, you're never so alive as when you're standing on the edge of the abyss and everything's about to get taken away. Well, most folks can't do that. You know, life gets in the way, marriage gets in the way. And I've done all that. And I, what I write is about taking that first step because I've been there and I never had a safety net. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's obvious the more you, the more stories you tell, the more I, I realize, yeah, there's no such thing as a safety net in your life. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so this is cool. Cause you know, it's um, the adventure and the excitement is all there. And it's like, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of like going back to the story you told about the, 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 um, the chair, the bosun's chair and the rope. Right. I mean, it's kind of like your life is that, <laughs> is uh, all centered on whether that rope gets caught or not. <laughs> That's exactly right. My, my buddy, Jim, we were painting a tower and uh, we, we were trying to fix it up underneath the tower and we were facing each other in little bosun's chairs. And he, we had hammers and we were trying to unloose this big knot, big bolt. And he takes a big old hit on this and it bounces off and nails him square in the eyes. And we're sitting 110 feet up and I watched his eyes roll back in his head and he just, fell over backwards and I reached around the tank and grabbed him by the shirt and pretty soon he came back into focus and we lowered ourselves down. That happened all the time. Jeez. No wonder why you needed a beer. <laughs> yeah, that was another beer. So. I would think so. It, um, wow. You know, it, in the path of Coco Pella, you introduce us to your, the, the two good friends, Jim and Jack. 
And uh, could you talk about the impact of your real-life friendships on the creation of these characters? Jim was more of a brother. He was a brother by different parents. And it, it was something that, if you're extremely lucky, I think it happens once in a lifetime. It happened to me. I don't know if the stars aligned were right, what. But we spent years back-to-back, and we did it all. We grew up out on the road in our years, out on the road. And I told you about saving his life on a tower. He, you know, he reciprocated. There was never a time we didn't trust each other. I even named my son after him, which was Eric the Red is what I call him. Because Jim had brilliant red hair and a red beard, big old guy. And when he passed, I, I actually wrote a poem for him called Jim, My Friend. And it's in my Pictures of Life book. And the the last of it's if I turn real fast, I'll see him still, my wild ass red haired friend. And that says everything about my friend Jim. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. And it just it fits well with all with your story and everything else that you got going on and what's happened in your past and what's going on now. I uh, wow. Um thank you. I you know, just as a note, I gotta have to say this because uh so well I'll I'll come back to it in just a second. I I've read you describe the opening of your book this way. Two freewheeling lifetime friends find an old cabin where it's not supposed to be, which is actually a disguised time machine. Naturally, they explore, discovering treasure under the floor. So before we go there, I got to tell you, so right there you just hook me, period, when I get to the part in the beginning of the book where there's this cabin, and they go into the cabin, and they find something in there. And I'm like... Yeah, now this is awesome because now, now I'm now because now obviously something's going to happen because we can't we have no story if uh, you know they they just get to go deal with whatever they found and uh, say uh, you know and come back and get more you know that type of thing and and uh, so cool stuff I mean that's it's a nice setting for <laughs> it's more nice it's just it's just a cool it, the part of me right there that uh, was willing in the past to you know venture into uh, old missile silos and different things like that there it is. So good stuff. So, so tell me, you know, can you share a little bit about their adventures now from here? Uh, okay. The, I'll give you my little elevator pitch. It, it, uh, actually, they, they discovered this treasure and they found silver and they found some golden figurines. So Jim runs out with the silver. Uh, Jack runs out with these golden figurines and all of a sudden these deputies on the hill start shooting. Uh, throw the gold back in and they take off and later some old letters tell them that they have discovered a disguised time machine and those little gold figurines are keys, 24 keys, 24 different destinations. And after learning how to use one, the Cocopelli figurine, the god of uh, fertility and prosperity, they go into 1822 New Mexico. Now, money is always the driver with these guys. They're grown ups with their kids. So they go into 1822 New Mexico for money. And while they're there, the violent Mexican Hidalgos or minor noblemen uh, trading with William Becknell and savage Apaches force a change on them. uh, The two treasures return. The silver they end up spending to save a Wyoming ranch that these heirs are trying to uh, steal from them. And while they're spending the money the second most valuable treasure surfaces, which is the most valuable gift because the two men that are standing there with little boys looking out have has disappeared forever. 
they've the characters have grown to match their adult bodies, and money is secondary to life and honor. I love this, and it and just a, a side note, I. I, uh, I grew up in Florida, but I went to school in New Mexico for um, a couple of years. I uh, went to college out there in the, the deserts outside of uh, Roswell, New Mexico. And, and, uh, and so you have in your I, – I can't tell you enough about how er- – there's all kinds of things happening in this story that I was like, this is cool. This is <laughs> – it made me, you know, wander uh, – I've, I've wandered around some of those uh, areas that uh, – and today probably have more sh- – home subdivisions on them than anything, but the, uh, but, uh, I just love the whole setting of everything here. And so what a cool thing. And, it, and, uh, and to go back in time and to do the different things that are happening, cause they're trying to, you know, figure out what's going on at the same time. They got silver and they got gold and they got people shooting at them. I mean, that's nice. You know, it, um, what's, you just sucked me in right there and I, I couldn't stop reading. So I love it. Kudos. Well, and the big revelation is, is uh, in the end, you know, the two journeys, one's self-discovery and one's money, you know, yeah. what, what's more valuable to you, your, your honor, integrity, or a handful of money? That's a rough, that's rough right there, especially because, huh? I mean, you don't know if anybody really knows you and then who's going to take the, take it from you, but someone who wants it for themselves, maybe. So why not, why don't we get it? <laughs> that type of thing. Right. <laughs> uh, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> I love this. Uh, so, so I kind of think I know the answer to this question, but what inspi- inspired you to make this story into a book? I mean, these stories. I mean, it, because you know, a lot of people try to, to write a book or something like this and have ideas and stories, but not only did you make this happen, you've got uh, one to follow on it, and you've got other books that you've written as well. So what made you make this into a book? Well, my personal uh time experiences uh my parents when i was younger my grandfather or my great-grandfather i live about a mile and a half from where his house was and i can remember when mom and dad found this old house in the woods or <clears throat> right by the road and mom picked up this big old butter churn and they go to my great-grandpa and they go grandpa where's you know who owns this house we'd like to see about getting some of this stuff and he said you're nuts that there's no house and he was right. We go back and that house was not there. I made butter in that churn for years and years and years. That house was there long enough for them to walk off with a butter churn. And my other one is there's a place called the Spook Light, which is uh, near my house. I actually got three. And uh, for years, uh, it's a glowing ball that shoots up and down the road. It's a paranormal experience. But Nobody can figure out what that going ball is. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people since probably the 20s have chased this going ball up and down the road. Scientists have been there. Nobody can ever figure it out. But it's there. I've chased it myself. And the third one is a is a deal called synthesisia. It is a true phenomenon that the human is capable of, and it instantly rocks you back in time to wherever that the the key that whatever it does sets you off now synthesis works on me by smelling wet pines in an instant i'm above estes park and it's about 1971 all over again every single time so that that was that got me started and the other one is that it was about i thought about me and my brother and i said i want to travel with tim again i want to take adventures again and 
somewhere as I thought about this book I, and how its its characters are all character driven because the escapades that we've all taken that are so true. And uh, I associated with how Jack or Steve's journey became true because somewhere between Canada and Mexico or New York, California, that driver of making money went away. And that grown man with a kid inside <clears throat> left forever and in his place, a man with honor and integrity as I mind the experiences, I realized just how far on the continuum I'd really came and all from actually traveling the time road. I love it. I, I love this. Cause this is, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, like you said, you, you wanted them to have their, their adventures again. And, uh, and I love that. I mean, cause so many people, I mean, the, once you get to a certain age, there's just too many things in our world that make us, you know, lock, some of that stuff away. And, uh, and that's, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that, but unfortunately you, you lose a huge part of your love of life when, when you lose that. Oh, you're so right. That's uh, it, it's funny. Cause, cause what I think about is like some of the people that I've um, worked w with called friends and stuff like this, that we, you know, you just can't do anything wrong by the one you, you, you just goof around and do different things and have fun and, and other people might think you're kind of crazy, but at the same time, you know, it's just, it, it's neat. The idea to be able to, to create the opportunity for those friends to be together again and to say, let's see what happens this time. <laughs> and I'm loving it. it. It is so wonderful. It's like you never left. That's so awesome. I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, you know, you have excitement and action as the reader has to wonder what will happen next and, how will the guys get through the event or that situation that's coming up? Could, could you talk about writing these types of scenes? I mean, what are you doing to make sure your words create a compelling adventure? Because I love it, by the way. <laughs> well, I, I lean back on my history and my experience, my activities that I've done throughout life. And I have to sit back and I think, what plausibly has to happen to make any incident believable? And whether it's crossing the Jordana, which in Jordana is a place out in Western Kansas that is, it's a Hispanic word and it's a, a, a hot, dry trip that should have lasted a day that lasts two or three and about kills you. That's literally the definition of Jordana. Or getting shot or making a trade or hunting big game. What plausibly has to happen to make that scene believable? And I write it into my scene in my fiction. That's so cool because there it is, and it's just you just want to keep following them and seeing what happens, and I and I love it, and it makes you, it just makes you want to turn the page. I mean, it, you could easily turn this into like a cliffhanger from the '30s, where you know you're watching at the movie theater and you leave it hanging right there at the at uh, at some part, you know, like uh, when they find the treasure or when the, they're confronted or anyway. I it's awesome. I, I think you do a great job at that, and uh, kept my attention. The uh, um. So I got to ask this, cause this is this, do you outline or do you not? I, I make no outlines, no notes. I, I just ride my pen and see where it takes me. That's cool. And it, uh, it's just another thought of mine that how endless time is. We're sitting on a continuum somewhere, whether it's past or future, we're just a dot on the line. And uh, so I just ride my pen and see where the next dot's going to end up. That's so cool. It, yeah, uh, you know, and to top it all off, I mean, 
the path of Coco Pelli is an international book order winner, uh, award winner. Your, your book has received some nice praise from Kirkus reviews. How's that make you feel? It's wonderful. I, it, uh, you know, I became an Amazon bestseller recently on, on the path of Coco Pelli, the endless times one, uh, Kirkus reviews said that it was compelling and engrossing details. And I felt really vindicated because I wrote five novels and two poetry books in a row before I thought about seeing if I was any good. And I thought, and then I started feeling better about it when it came back that I was okay because I had been making my wife keep quiet and she's like my baby bird. She wakes up and her mouth flies open. And she's, she's, <laughs> she, I've already told her too. She's swatted me a couple of times. But uh, I, I felt better about making her keep quiet all this time. And uh, she's happy that I'm happy. And in the end, that's what it's all about. You know, money's nice, but happy's better. That's so cool. I love it. And by the way, yeah, that, that would be another aspect that, uh, um, how do you, you're, <laughs> I'm surprised that you're still with us. I'm sorry. I, I just, <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of people. <laughs> Good stuff. I, so I got to ask you this, this fall, you have volume two Murphy's Diggins being published. Care to give a preview? Absolutely. I have the book right here. What I'm going to do, I'll read the back back cover for you. Sam Brandon shot me in the head from a range of two feet. They say your life flashes by before dying. That's bull. I heard Jim yell, saw his feet begin to move, and then a mountain dropped on my head. Jack and Jim, the same two who discovered a time machine, traveled the time road and returned with a fortune or at it again. Jim's married, Jack's a foreman, and both vow never to travel time again. It's deadly. But when travelers decree differently, thieving heirs forced the two to spend their treasure to save their Wyoming ranch, but not before they emptied the, the uh, bank accounts and stole the herd. Since Jim is married, Jack decides to go alone to recoup ranch fortunes. But a killing adds Jim to the mix, and they jump into the 1848 gold rush. Now they travel to save the ranch, no matter what the cost. They will do anything to save their home and Jim's son's inheritance. But will they? Millionaire philanthropist Thomas Connor, California millionaire miners, traders, the Murphy Boys, and California's first millionaire, renegade Mormon Sam Brannan, make the definition of anything hazy. Two helpless Miwok Indian boys in a white world and voices from the graves of Donner's past only add to the tales of greed and violence. The gold is there, sky's the limit, stakes are impossibly high with the ranch on the line. The question is, does life among hard men in a lawless land define how far they've come, or will greed take them further? Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. More adventures coming that way. And, and coming that way. I, I love it. Uh, and you have a a giant bear on the front, which, uh, it, nothing speaks adventure like a bear. So this is that, that bear is the uh, state flag of California. Ah, cool. Nice. And I thought it would be a gold nugget or something. I had to look it up and it represents the end independence and strength of the California natives. Very cool. Very awesome. The, uh, I, this is so cool. I, you know, uh, Walter, we're getting close to finishing up. And uh, this has been awesome connecting with you. I, I got to, these are, your stories are really cool. And uh, uh, before we close, if someone to learn more, where do you want to send them? WalterStephenGeating.com. Uh, like I said, I, I blog 
at least once weekly, more likely twice. And I do more current stories. I've got some upcoming giveaways. Uh, I, I write poetry on their new poetry and just have general information. So if you want to, you want to catch up on anything or something catches your interest, join me at my website. Excellent. And I'll have that information in my show notes. So it's easy for them to, uh, to, to, to find that and connect, especially if they're on their mobile. Cause all they gotta do is just Click on the link and it'll take them straight to you. So good stuff. Uh, I got two more questions for you, Walter. And uh, one of them, uh, and these have just something I like to ask my guests to see what they have to say about it. Uh, The first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? I never not wanted to keep going. I quit loss. I could write full time. uh, I'm more broke, but I'm much more satisfied. I wrote poetry on scraps for 40 years and I finally condensed them into my poetry volumes. And I thought, you know what, if I get so busy that, uh, you know, I don't have time to publish, I'll continue to write and my kids can publish it. I'm okay with that. That's so cool. (laughs) So cool. And I can imagine, you know, when it, when I wrote the when I wrote this question, one of the things I thought about is, and it's, you've reinforced it with some of your answers to the other stuff you know, someone who's had all these, uh, <laughs> these adventures that you've had and, uh, yeah, life and death experiences, you know, <laughs> um, the, uh, I would think that, yeah, you don't have time for quit, quit. What's that mean? <laughs> well, you can't, you know, and as Jimmy Buffett says, you know, and I totally agree. I'd much rather die while I'm living than live while I'm dead. And uh, that's straight from Jimmy Buffett's mouth, which is one of my favorite guys. So. Love it. Awesome. Uh, last question, uh, Walter. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance? I absolutely do. I've got two. Cool. Uh, got Mr. Dean. He was my creative writing teacher when I was a freshman in high school. And I'd tell him, thank you for believing in a big roughneck with a well-head and heart. And then I'd make the second one to Kay Hively. She was my creative writing teacher at Crowder College. And I tell Kay, thank you. <clears throat> you always knew I'd be a writer. And yeah, you were right. I should have just went ahead and wrote for a living instead of going into law. And plus, thank you for using me in the Poets Corner as the bar to Beeman Hall. That's excellent. Excellent. Uh, Walter, it, it's been so cool connecting with you today. Thanks for talking with me. Volume one, The Path of Cocapelli is an engaging and thrilling story. I love the way you write. I like the friends element and can't wait for volume two, Murphy's Diggins. Thank you so much for sharing and I wish you the best in all you do. Thank you. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.